Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest addition to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line Podcast Network. With us on the line is the voice of the Arkansas Razorback, Chuck Barrett. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Lemitard show Suey winner and the <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome into episode number 144 of the one and only Hog Talk Podcast alongside Kevin Bohannon. My name is Kyle Sutherland. I'm your Monday host, and we thank you as always for joining us. Hope all of you had a happy Thanksgiving and for some of us enjoyed an extra long weekend. And guys, uh, while you're listening, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the pod. You can find us on any forum, wherever you listen, we are there. And while you're there, if you can hit that five stars and give us a written review, really helps us reach more people and get our name out there. And the show is brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. And we're getting close to the end of college football season, but we still have plenty of NFL left. And you can get on the action at Bet Online from game spreads, totals to team player and coaching props. Bet Online has you covered on more options to wager than any place online. You can also get involved virtually through the online casino that never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Got a lot to talk about today. Razorbacks, both men's and women's played this weekend. Of course, the Razorback football team was off, but it is official. They will be playing at 11 a.m. against Missouri this coming Saturday. Also going to touch on some high school football. I know that uh, getting close to the end there, got the 6 and 7A Arkansas State Championships this weekend so we'll talk about that but Kevin first I want to talk about Connor Vanover now I think that all Razorback fans and probably fans outside of Arkansas would agree that he got pretty hosed last year on not getting his waiver and being able to play but through two games this year uh, he's I'd say he's been better than advertised it's, it's almost like if you have a big man on the floor I know it's only two games and North Texas was a very very quality opponent but it does seem like through two games that it's going to be a fit for a non-athletic big if they're having to go against Connor while he's on the floor. Yeah, North Texas went 14-4 and four in conference last year. They were picked, and they won their conference regular season. They were picked second this year, and Connor Vanover played 34 minutes last night. That's the most he's ever played. Of course, he came in as a spot guy, role guy for Cal, and you saw last night what he can do on the floor. And it's not just the fact that he, he just had six points and somebody – idiotically, and I know it's not a word, but said he only had six points against North Texas, but he had 16 rebounds and five or six blocks. It's what he does for the other four guys on the floor. He, he opens it up. He spaces it out. When you're running a, a four-out, one-in game, and you can bring their big out and make them defend a three-point shot from a seven-foot-three guy, that's going to open it up for the slashers, for the Moses Moody's, for the, the Smith, the Jalen Tate's. And Desi Seals, it's just going to be a whole lot easier for those guys to get to the basket. 
Therefore, we get to shoot more free throws. I'm typically not a read the comments kind of guy. Every once in a while, if I see something that I think will uh, be pretty humorous, I'll start scrolling if I have some time. But I happen to see those comments that you're talking about. And it was one of those that I was on Facebook. And you can see, like, if you don't even go into the comments, you can see at least one of them. And that was the one that I saw that he only had six points. And it's obvious that if he's 7'3", he's probably not going to be that good at shooting threes, but this is a special case. You don't really see that. I guess Dirk would be the closest. I'm not comparing him to Dirk. I'm just saying a seven-footer that can shoot it well from three throughout his whole entire career. And Connor is not fabulous at it, but he, I know that he was like 35% at Cal in 2018 and 2019. It was around the 35, 36 range. And you look at teams across the last couple of years, that's as good or better than a lot of the players on a Razorback roster. That goes back to even Jalen Barford, Daryl Macon, guys like that. So I know that they shot around maybe like the high 30s, I want to say. Isaiah Joe, the same this past season. So it's just like you said, it's what he does so much that opens up, that opens up the game for everybody else. And he was able to do that against North Texas. And it was very obvious when he wasn't on the floor that they were trying to take advantage and, and make a comeback. And a lot of people were speculating, of course, Mississippi Valley State was a whole different animal. And you had a common opponent, North Texas played them. I think they beat them by 50, not really sure. They scored 116 on them. But you kind of got to see what Coach Musselman is thinking in terms of how he wants his rotations to go. Smith played 36 minutes. As we mentioned, Connor Vanover played 34. Jalen Tate, 26. Desi Seals, 36. Moses Moody, 29. Then J.D. Note, who had a phenomenal game, played 24 minutes. You didn't see uh, Jalen Williams. You didn't see K.K. Robinson very much. He only played five minutes. No Devontae Davis as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see. And Coach Mussman wanted more defense out there. He knew it was going to be a lower-scoring game. It was going to be one of the knockdown, drag-out fights like they were in last year. It wasn't going to be a track meet up and down the floor, you know, make 23s in a game. So – this team is versatile, and that's what's going to be the most fun thing about this team to watch is there's interchangeable parts. There's different sets that one one rotation is going to be able to go up and down the floor, and then another set is going to be able to go half-court game. So when you have an athletic group like this that's able to play really long and in a half-court game, it's going to be a lot of trouble for teams. As you saw today with Kentucky, they got beat by Richmond. And as we record this on Sunday, they got beat by Richmond. I think it was by 12 points. So it's good that Coach Musman has a good blend of freshmen and veterans. He's got seven upperclassmen and four freshmen. So it's really good that he got into that transfer portal and got the guys that he wanted that fits his team that can go out there so you don't have the mistakes like Kentucky made today. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up is we saw what happened with Kentucky. It's easy to say, like we talk about the negative comments, it's easy to say, well, you should have beat North Texas by more. Well, you mentioned their record last year. They were the Conference USA regular season champion, just like everybody else. Their conference tournament got canceled, so we never got to see how far they could go. But Coach Muss has said that his biggest concern with this team right now is the lack of chemistry. And that's not because they don't like each other. That's not because they're not close. They just hadn't played together. And you, th you think about Desi Seals, Ethan Henderson, the only guys coming back with any kind of excessive experience that have been on the floor for a, a lot outside of just garbage time. 
that's going to take some time. And then you talked about the rotations. He's going to figure out more along the way, whether he, whether Desi Sills maybe ends up starting, whether he continues that six-man role off the bench. You're only two games in. You really don't know a whole lot about. But that's the thing, too, is that you see going back to Kentucky – you see that once a year where they lose one or two games in the early season where they're, that they're not supposed to. I think it was two years ago that they lost to Evansville, and then Evansville ends up not even winning a conference game or they went like one and 17 or something. Yeah, in conference exactly. play. So, yeah, so you just got to think about those. And and uh, Arkansas, I know that Arkansas lost to Western Kentucky a couple of years ago, or actually yet last year. That was a really good team that has a lot of players coming back this year that – uh, is going to be a force. And so, yeah, we've had a couple of those losses here and there that we shouldn't have. But right now, they're just – they're trying to get their feet wet, but there's always going to be the naysayers. We talk about that all the time. And uh, – but I really do think that once – I think that sixth was a good spot for this team, at least where they're at right now. I did mention that. I think it was last week or the week before. But I do believe when it's all said and done that this could be a top-four team in the SEC. I don't see them finishing any any lower than five, though. Definitely, and with everything that we've come seen come out of the COVID, the pandemic, and everything, teams are going to struggle early on. It was it was kind of an anomaly to see them put up 142 the other night, and it was the second highest point total in Razorback history. I think they scored one they scored 166 back in 1989, I believe it was. It was 166 to 101 during that game, but yeah, that was kind of anomaly to see that fresh to the team come out and score that many points and play that well you saw some sluggishness the other night uh, on the offensive side they took some bad shots things like that but that's to be expected and he and coach Muss was not up in arms about it they still won by 15 they played good defense they rebounded well but they're going to clean up some of this and like you said they could be pushing for that you know top four spot by the time March rolls around and so they uh, play – I want to say it's on Tuesday. Wednesday. Um, they, play, they play Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday yeah. at 8 o'clock on SEC Network. I knew it was at 8 o'clock on SEC Network. I couldn't remember what day it was against um, against UT Arlington. And then on Saturday, December 5th, they play Lipscomb. As of, we're recording on Sunday, we don't have a set time for that right now, but that's their next two coming up. And then uh, real quick on the girls' front, uh, they started off 3-0 and over the, the holiday break and through this weekend they're playing in the Gulf Coast show. Showcase started off really, really well, got to three and zero, and then they ran into a really tough Maryland team today. I think that fatigue. Uh, Maryland was ranked number twelve, and then they play UL Monroe on Thursday. Uh, that'll be on SEC Network as well, um, and so I think that one's at seven o'clock. But they play uh, UL Monroe before they play number four Baylor next week. So that's going to be another tough matchup. But uh, I think that against Maryland, they just got a little fatigued or a lot fatigued playing all these games in such a new season, as you said, Kevin, and much different. Uh, they're still practicing. You get all that time to get in condition, but a you're not in game condition until you play a couple of games. And also with the pandemic doesn't help things. And I think that a lot too of that was Maryland's length. Uh, I didn't get to watch it. I just got to listen to Phil Elson's beautiful voice uh, calling the game as I always enjoy for baseball or women's basketball. But uh, it just seemed like length was uh, what was um, what was really their kryptonite length and fatigue against Maryland. And so those coming up, uh, that's the latest that we have in basketball. And Kevin, real quick, we'll touch on Mizzou for a little bit. Porter and I covered it on last week's show. Had a 41 to nothing drubbing of Vanderbilt, which led to the firing of Derek Mason, the second coach to be fired, along with South Carolina's Will Muschamp. They've had – Mizzou has had some easy wins. You look at 
not, I shouldn't say easy. There's no such thing as we've learned in the past, but easy at least in terms of the teams that they have beat and their records. UK, Kentucky, not very good. They beat them 20 to 10. South Carolina, 17 to 10, which that ended up, I don't know if it was that game that led to Muschamp's firing, but it was not too long after that. And then Vandy, uh, as I just mentioned. And so they've got the four wins, but hey, that they've got a winning record. Their losses to Bama, Tennessee, and Florida. The Georgia game was postponed. Just like Arkansas, they were picked anywhere between that 11. Uh, the highest I saw them was 11th, and the, uh, the worst, I think, was 13th. And so now here they are sitting at that they were picked again from 11 to 14. Now they're sitting at third in the West and sixth overall in the conference. So Definitely no team that you can look over. And, and you know, I think that they're going to probably be looking a lot at the LSU tape because they've got two running backs they like to really get it going with. Yeah, and Connor Bazalak, his 70% completion percentage right now, he had 406 yards against LSU back in October. And that was an LSU team that was just kind of figuring out things and was re really knew that they were in for a long season with all the opt-outs, everybody not – where they used where they, where they should be at the moment. So that game was 45-41, but yeah, they lost to Tennessee 35 to 12, but you know, looking at their backfield Larry Roundtree, that's a name that Arkansas Razorback fans will recognize. He has shredded our defenses the last couple of years and they will pound it, pound it pounding ground and that will open up the the deep ball for them, which is kind of a staple of a Missouri offense. Of course, they put up 41 yesterday against a Vanderbilt team that is severely depleted and definitely the worst team in the SEC. But, yeah, it's going to be a tough game, I believe. It's not going to be one of those games that we can look at and say, especially with the way Arkansas played this year, that I, think, I do think we should win, but it's going to be tough, especially we do not play well at Columbia, Missouri. So, yeah, it's going to be a game that Arkansas fans need to buckle up for. It's going to be a tight one down to the wire, and hopefully we come out on the winning side of things. And with most of your team back, I know Catalan's not going to be there in the first half, so that's going to be something that Eliah Drinkwitz with his offensive mind is going to be looking to really take advantage of. You're probably going to get – I know that we're not going to really know until later in the week who we have and who we don't, but you, you would imagine that a lot of the defensive lines coming back – this is a game that you almost have to get with the way the season's going and you finish up with Alabama. Yeah, you're going to get a bowl game. Everybody's going to be eligible, assuming that they are get to that point. But this is one that you just – you have to think that absolutely have to win. And I know Coach Pittman, when everything kind of shook out, if he had his rathers about everything, he wanted to get that Missouri game in before Bama. And luckily it worked out for us that way because there's no telling what could happen after the Alabama game. As physical as they are on defense, we, we could be a little banged up going into Missouri, which was going to be look like it was going to be the 19th of December. But now we get them next weekend. We're going to have most of our guys back, hopefully, on the defensive front. And having those guys back, I, I do think – and we, we can all say ifs and nuts, candy and nuts and all that. If we would have had those guys last weekend against LSU, I think we would have won. So hopefully they'll be back they'll be able to stop the ground game from Missouri and we'll be able to put up some points. And that one's going to be at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, so another breakfast game. I will actually be covering a high, the high school state championship at noon. So I'll have to maybe, I'll maybe catch maybe the first 30 minutes of it. Have to watch a, on a recording later, but we'll cover that more. We're supposed to have uh, Adam Spencer from Saturday Down South on for Friday show 
to help get his perspective from a Missouri side. And so we'll cover it a little more there. But Kevin, uh, speaking of high school, I want to transition over to that. A lot of great football this past Friday night. We're, we got the six and the seven A state championships on Saturday. Um, a couple sem- semifinals, still uh, a couple of classes that have the quarterfinals. But I was talking to you guys earlier and I was kind of deciding between three different games. I narrowed it down to Nashville and Warren. I'm trying to stay within my area because since I'll be in Arkadelphia still on Friday, figured I'd with all the teams that are playing around here, I would go to one. So I, na- I narrowed it down to Nashville and Warren or Gurdon and Fordyce. And I think I'm definitely going to go to the Gurdon Fordyce game. I want to see, I want to see uh, Jacquez Cross with this kid's all about the Purdue commit who's just done it all over the field. And I think this is going to be a great 2A matchup. Definitely. And I've had the privilege of seeing these guys quite a bit over the last three years officiated a few of their games and then covered a game for um, another media outlet. So, yeah, Jock West Cross, uh, he's all-purpose back. He catches the ball. He runs the ball. He's even thrown for a touchdown, too. Jaheim Brown, the quarterback, they are they do what they do very well. And I say that because they can get in the wing tee. They can get in the power eye. They can get in the spread. And they can beat you all three ways. Plus, their defense, they fly to the ball. And those guys play defense, too. It's 2A football. They only have about 26, 27 players in Fordyce right now. So, they're going to get after you. They're facing the Gurdon Go Devils. Unfortunately, this could have been a state championship matchup. Uh, but you that's the way the bracket was drawn up. And they get to face each other in the semifinals. That's going to be a really good one. The other one you talked about, Nashville and Warren. This game has a lot of history. Uh, You obviously back in your glory days played against both of these uh, powerhouses. So that one's going to be a really good game because both of these teams are playing really well right now. Warren started out the year 0-3. They're playing their best football right now. And they're playing a Nashville team that has Ty Gordon at quarterback, uh, Sean Stewart at running back, and they're clicking on all cylinders. They took a tough Elkins team to the woodshed this past weekend and beat them 46 to six, I believe, uh, 48 to six, excuse me. So yeah, Nashville and Warren in the quarterfinals, you got Rivercrest and Crossit and the other on the same side of the bracket. Look to the other side, you got Shiloh Christian and Dumas. Then you got Stuttgart who beat Joe T. Robinson, the defending 4A state champion, takes on Ozark in the other quarterfinals. So yeah, quarterfinals in 4A and then talked about 7A and 6, uh, 7A, 6A, Finals this coming up weekend at Memorial Stadium. Bryant has a chance to state their case as the best high school team ever. They take on a North Little Rock team, which they beat 58-21, put up over 800 yards of offense the last time they played. You were at that game, so it's going to be a lot of fun in Little Rock this weekend. Yeah, that's what I was – I'm going to be covering – I'm not sure if I'll be at the 6A game, but I will be covering, especially since it's Central Arkansas teams and with Rocktown, that's what we mainly do. I'll be at the Bryant-North Little Rock game, and it's really intriguing because I, I think that everybody in the back of their mind is like, yes, Bryant's probably going to win this by a good margin. It's just their heads, head and shoulders above a, a lot of – just about any team in the state, but you could say – or any team in the state, but a lot of teams maybe regionally dipping into other states that surround us. But North Little Rock, I've seen them play three times this year, and, and they didn't play good defense against Cabot. That was a seesaw game, one of the best high school games I've ever been to, probably the best one this season, along with Trinity Christian and Bryant. But for the most part this year, they played pretty good defense. They've ran the ball really well. And Kareem Cotton in the first two games that I saw him play against Central and I saw him play against Fayetteville, and he didn't pass the ball very well. His receivers didn't catch the ball very well, but they were on point 
against Cabot. And that was one of the things that I talked about with, with coach J.R. Eldridge of North Little Rock in the post game. And the one thing that he talked about that I don't think that we're mentioning enough is I asked him how he was feeling. This is his fourth, this, his third uh, state championship in four years, dating back to his time at Arkadelphia. And he just said, man, I'm just so thankful that we get to, that we got to play this season, that we got to make it to this point. And so we're really gl- grateful that we've gotten at least, we're going to for sure at least see two state championship games. So it looks like we're going to get to the finish line with everybody but I, I think that North Little Rock, I think that Brian is going to win it but I do think that just like the regular season game that North Little Rock's going to hang with them for a little bit and I, I think you're right about that cream cotton is he's done a great job back there calling the shots for coach Eldridge's offense and I got to see him when or coach Eldridge when he was at Arkadelphia and what he did with Cannon Turner back there and the great run that they had. So you, you think about it like this. Bryant is at the end of a three-year run with Austin Ledbetter and Coach James where they have a chance to win three in a row. That's not done every every three years in Arkansas. It's, it's, it's a historic thing that's about to happen. But then you got North Little Rock, who is coming in their first season under Coach Eldridge. And it's, it looks to be they're finally clicking. They beat Cabot, or they beat Cabot of course, 49-42 in the semis. 34 to 7 over Little Rock Catholic in the quarters, and they opened up with a shutout, 38 nothing against Southside. So that offense is clicking. The defense played really well the first two rounds. They ran into Tyler G and Kyler Carmack, two unbelievable football players at Cabot. Tyler G, of course, is going to UCA. Kyler Carmack, being the athlete as he is, is playing baseball for Arkansas State University next season. So that was a shootout. We kind of expected that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think North Rock can hang with them early. The thing Bryant hasn't done up to this point is make mistakes. They could have mercy ruled Trinity Christian, but they made they had a few turnovers during that game. Ended up being a close, close game. I think it was 48 to 44. So you never know what can happen when you get out there on Saturday. We saw it a few years ago, Bryant's first state title during this run was against North Little Rock. North Little Rock had beat them during the regular season. Bryant came back and beat them pretty handedly in the state final. So you never know what can happen once you get to War Memorial Stadium. A lot of we've had a lot of upsets in the past. Things haven't gone according to script. So uh, but yes, congratulations to, to the players and coaches that have made it this far. We've got to get to the, the finish line here. Back when we talked to Lance Taylor in August, he said, we, we don't want to just start it. We want to finish it. So kudos to all the fans, the coaches, the players. We've gotten to this point. Let's just go ahead and finish it on out strong. And you talked about Kyler Carmack and Tyler G. Another guy I want to point out is junior Braden J. 11 catches, 210 yards, two touchdowns. And he also, I'm sure that uh, a lot of people saw – the video circulating on Twitter. We actually had it on our Rocktown Sports uh, Facebook website and uh, – or, or we had it on our Facebook page and the website. But it was when Tyler G was picked off, like inside their own 10. They were about to score. Braden J rips it out of the North Little Rock defender's hands, jumps on it. Uh, that kid was just all over the field. He and Kyler Carmack were just a lethal combo. And I know that Braden's going to have another good year next year too uh, in his senior year. But in the 6A, you've got Lake Hamilton and Greenwood, Lake Hamilton. And you, that was a great game that they had with Sylvan Hills and they, the OT winner that they had stopping Sylvan Hills after going forward on two. The, uh, another flexbone team that has had a lot of success, great offensive line, great backfield against Greenwood that's just been uh, probably, along with PA, the most dominant team over the last, for sure, decade. Definitely, and I, I believe this was the 19th time in the last 25 years that they've gotten to practice on Thanksgiving Day. And you and I talked about that the other day, how special that is to get to do that. 
I got to do it as a player. You did as well. And I've got to do it as an official a couple of times. That means that you are in higher classifications. You are right there close to the end. You're at least in the semifinals. So, yeah, Greenwood took care of an undermatched Marion team, 51 to 7. And then Lake Hamilton had to fend off a Sylvan Hills two-point conversion to win 21 to 20. You got to give it to Coach Chris Hill. He came out in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette the other day uh, and said, look, our defense was beat up. We knew we couldn't stop Lake Hamilton. So our best shot to win this game was to go for two in the first overtime, hopefully get it in there. And kudos to Lake Hamilton. They were ready for the rocket sweep. And Tavion Cunningham, he got it. They were there. And Tommy Gillerin, who was one of the Gatorade uh, coaches of the year last year, actually, he got to go out to Los Angeles and take part in a ceremony. He's got the Wolves playing really well right now. You look back at their previous matchup with Greenwood, they turned the ball over a couple times. They didn't have their starting quarterback at the moment during that game, but he's back. Tevin Woodley, Omar Miller, those guys can really run the football. They run it out of the wing tee. They can get in the gun and cause, cause some confusion with misdirection but they'll be running it up against the Greenwood team that's been clicking on all cylinders. They've won all three of their playoff games by the mercy rule. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Another conference rematch in the 6A finals. Well, and another one that we're excited to possibly see is another state championship with Little Rock Christian and Pulaski Academy. Uh, Little Rock Christian, who is it? They, they play Harrison and then Wynn faces off against Pulaski Academy. So another opportunity to see that. I think the Pulaski Academy just – being honest is hands down the favorite, but I just, I, I can't be denied. They've just been a machine in and out of state this year. And so, uh, but that's, that's just cool to see that with the history that they've had dating back to the game when justice Hill took over for Little Rock Christian and, and led them to the state championship. That's always a fun rivalry to watch. Definitely. And I was really kind of pulling for win coach Van Pascal is the wing and his active football coach in this, in the state of Arkansas at the moment. And his team always plays hard. They beat Texarkana, who's a ground-and-pound team, Tory Blair. They shut him down 28 to nothing the other night in the quarterfinal game. And Wynn has a they, – they run the, the double slot, the flex bone. So it's going to be a really good matchup of wits. you got Plasky Academy, who, who's spread team, high-flying, all of Coach Kelly's so-called quirks. But it's a system now. It's a machine. So what other people's quirks are other people's normalities. And if, if Wynn can slow the game down – they're going to have 50 yards every time to go score. We know that because they're going to onside kick. If they can recover over onside kick, limit turnovers, they're going to have a shot to beat PA. And then Harrison behind Cole Keelan, the lefty quarterback, came back the other night. They won 38-35 over a really good Whitehall team. They play Little Rock Christian, who's playing their best football right now. They beat Hot Springs Lakeside 52-14. to It was 45-7 to at halftime. Colin Cooper, the senior quarterback, J.B. on Dyer-Jones, Running back is having a really good year. And then Corey Platt, who is Tulane commit, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Coach yes. Cohue, Eric Cohue said is the if he's not the best player in Arkansas, he's one of the best. So it's going to be a really good semifinal matchup. Those four teams have been ranked in the top five all year long. So those four being where they're at right now is really expected. And we could be looking at uh, PA LaRock Christian part three. And finally, you look at the 3A. There's a lot of great matchups there. I mean, you look Paris and Prescott, Glen Rose, all the Harding Academy. There's so many that it's just hard to decipher. It's there's some I've seen. I've seen a few people give it to Harding Academy as a slight edge. Some to Prescott. Where are you at on that? 
I think it's a disservice. And like I said earlier, with the brackets, the way they were drawn, that Prescott and McGee are playing in the quarterfinals. This could very well be a, a – both of them are ranked second and third in 3A right now, according to Hootens.com. That could be a, a state championship game. But, yeah, I think the winner of that game plays Harding Academy. I think Harding has the easier side with Boonville, who's going to be a really good t- matchup for Harding. It's going to be a tough game. But then they'll play the winner of Glen Rose in center point. And then on the other side, you have Hoxie with their high-flying offense. Shanderick Powell had 327 yards, three touchdowns on only 16 carries in their win over Newport the other night. So I think you'll get Prescott and Hoxie, which will be a really good physical matchup. Prescott will come out of that side. I think they'll end up playing Harding Academy on the 19th at War Memorial Stadium. Looking forward to some great matchups this weekend and a few weeks down the road. It looks like, I guess, from this weekend, we've got about two weeks left of high school football in the state of Arkansas. Lord willing that we do get to play it, knock on wood. Hopefully we do. But uh, if you want to follow, especially the Central Arkansas teams, uh, like what we'll do with the 7A state championship with North Little Rock and Bryant, you can find us. So myself and a buddy of mine, we do Rocktown Sports. He takes the pictures. I write the articles, do the stats, all that stuff. You can follow uh, some of our updates on Twitter. I post all the, the scores and all that. Anytime there is a scoring play or something major, um, you can follow that on there. And, uh, again, we'll be discussing this next week as we uh, move forward into, uh, I guess, next week is going to be, is it 3A and 5A or 2A and 5A? Uh, 2A and 5A, yes. 2A and 5A is next weekend. So we'll talk about that and then and then uh, talk about 3 and 4A the next week. But um, up next in uh, our segment, once the break is over, Porter Hayes will be interviewing Arkansas soccer coach Colby Hill. Always love listening to Coach Hill on podcasts and interviews and just getting his insight. If you haven't listened to the Hog Pod with him and Coach Muss, it's, it's a must listen. Um, just some great – kind of like how the Coach Neighbors, Coach Muss pods are always a lot of fun. But uh, look forward to – hearing what Porter has to say with him. And, guys, that will do it for this segment of episode number 144 of the Hog Talk podcast. Stay with us. we got more next. The Hog Talk podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479 479- 368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. Welcome back to the Hog Talk podcast. And now we go to the Workman's Travel Center hotline where we are honored to be joined today by Arkansas soccer coach Colby Hale. Colby, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for joining us. First off, you know, I want to congratulate you on your, your fifth straight SEC championship game appearance your I believe co-west titles or west division titles so just talk about that and you know your your success at Arkansas yeah we won we won the west this year um we actually won that outright um and then we uh we won the league so that was a that was a huge deal you know winning the regular season we talked early on about winning the COVID season was going to be unique 
Um, soccer was obviously going to play a role. The team that scored the most goals wins. You know, at the end of the day, though, this was going to be about a lot more than just that, navigating a lot of uncertainty and, you know, the heightened um, emotions of everybody. You know, the statistics on um, how this has affected everyone are, are pretty interesting to follow, and we knew that was going to be a factor. <laughs> so incredibly impressed and proud of the consistency that we showed. You know, we played eight, eight matches. We went seven and one. And even the match we lost, 2-1 at home, like we played well enough to win. So, you know, very, very proud of that. You know, we beat A&M. Um, we beat South Carolina. Um, you know, we were – and another thing we were really proud of is we were picked number one. You know, last year we won the league. Um, it's our second time in, the, in a row of winning the SEC. And we did it this year coming from the pole position, which sometimes is more difficult. You know, we took everyone's best shot. You know, we did some stuff. We flew this year. We flew the same day every match. So we literally flew in, played, flew home, same day, you know, um, didn't stay in hotels. Some of the team bonding was different. So, you know, obviously it was very different and, uh, but the players did a tremendous job. Yeah. And kind of talk about the preparations that, you know, with flying in same day leaving, I mean, how does that change you as a coach, your, your game day prep and everything that goes into what you normally would do on, on travel? Yeah. I mean, a lot, right. I mean, one of the biggest things, you know, partway through the season, we had, we had four games and we were playing really well. And it, it, it was almost like there was a honeymoon period. We had a lot of uncertainty. Uh, are we going to play? Are we not going to play? And then we had this honeymoon period of three or four games where we were playing matches and we were grateful. The emotion of everything caught up with us and we kind of hit this like wall, which, you know, we, we got together and we put together what we call an SFP board, a solve freaking problems board. And we just said, okay, what are the factors that are, that are causing this to be different? One of them was kind of this feeling of social, social isolation, uh, social isolation. And what we found was the players were making fantastic decisions. You know, they were going to training um, that most of their classes were online. Then they were going home they didn't have a lot of interaction outside their roommates, which I think was starting to take a toll on people. And so we put together some things in place where they could kind of get, we had older players who were like, I don't even know the younger players. It wasn't that they didn't like each other. We didn't have bad team chemistry. They literally didn't know each other because outside of the hour and a half training session, they hadn't had any conversations to try to keep themselves safe so they could play in matches. So, you know, there's a lot of different stuff. And then when you go on the road, we had no team meals. We had no team breakfast. We had no walkthroughs. We had no things that traditionally you would do on the road, you know, and, and so I was proud. I mean, we, a lot, everyone dealt with them. Um, it wasn't just us, but I thought we dealt with them the best, obviously, because we won the league. And so that was some, kind of something we'd set out early to do. Yeah, and that's the difference with, with soccer opposed to a basketball or football. You know, your your teammates aren't really always close together. You're spread out. You're running your sets and your drills. So I know that probably had a lot to do even in the training sessions that you were able to do, you know, with the team being so spread out. You know, they didn't have the interaction in the group setting like other sports. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's what they do outside of that training session too, that really makes a difference. You know, our team's always been good about not having clicks. We don't, you know, it's a meritocracy. We don't care if you're a senior or freshman, the best player plays and the older players are really good at reaching out to the younger ones and having them over for dinner and getting to know them. And, you know, we do some things pretty intentionally, you know, we have brunches over at my house almost every other week where everyone's coming to kind of hang out and get to know each other. And we couldn't do a lot of that. And so, you know, I think, or just the hanging out outside of, you know, you win a game and you go out and you, you celebrate a little bit. So those things weren't happening. And, you know, we didn't, we don't have rules. We don't have any, you can't do this. You can't do that. I think sometimes rules are like minimum standards. Like what motivates you a rule that you're not allowed to break or the motivation to want to win something big. Our team's pretty motivated. 
So I didn't have to lean on them. We just talked about like, Hey, if, if we're serious about winning a championship, we can't lose players for two weeks at a time. That's two matches. And so, you know, it, we, we just said, let's get away from this question of like, Hey, what all can I do and not get in trouble? So you're not gonna get in trouble for any of it, but if you make, if you make decisions that aren't in the best interest in keeping you safe, you're going to miss games and now it limits our chances to win. So, you know, if you don't want to win, if this season needs to look different, that's fine. We can modify it. This is a different year. At the same time, if you're serious about winning, we got to commit to this. And they did. Well, when you do that, it's going to create some other things, which is, you know, you had players who like, we have a player on our team that doesn't have any roommates. And she was like, dude, I am bored out of my mind. You know, I go <laughs> home and I hang out and, you know, cause you know, the roommates were going to get close contacted anyways. Um, so, you know, they can kind of hang out, but if you're hanging out with people outside your roommates and someone got it, I mean, you were going to get close contacted into a 14 day quarantine. So, you know, it was great. I was proud of them. They did a fantastic job. Um, you know, I think it played out in a championship and we finished first in the regular season and second in the tournament, which, you know, finishing sec second sucks, but it's also something that we understand is very difficult to do in this league. Well, yeah, and, and we'll go to the tournament and I'll, I'll kind of go back to the season, but I wanted to point out, and I talked to the guys, other guys on the podcast, I was looking over Vanderbilt's record and, you know, they'd lost four games, but three of them were in overtime by one goal. And you come into a tournament setting and you turn into that hot team and, you know, watching the game and you, you score that quick goal within the first minute and then they just put two, I mean, it was three goals in the first five minutes and in yeah. soccer, it's, you get that early goal and then they scored right back and then added, it's almost like a, a gut punch in a way. So, you know, talk about that game and, you know, how Vanderbilt kind of come into the, the tournament and how hard it was to kind of overcome. Cause some people don't really know just how hard it is to get goals in soccer. So when you go down two one and then you're down three one, how, how hard is that mentally to try to overcome and you change your game plan? It was, you know, Vanderbilt kind of struggled early, but they, I mean, they had, they had almost all of their top players out for a large portion of the season. And, you know, Haley Hopkins and, and Myra Conte are two of the best players in the league and they didn't have them for long periods. And even when they did, I mean, Haley Hopkins, I think scored one goal in the league and scored five in the tournament. So, you know, they have a really good roster. They're a year removed from winning the league. You know, I mean, they're a very, very good team. And they just got hot at the right time, you know, and, and credit to them. I don't want to take anything from them. Um, you know, they, they had a great tournament. They scored more goals in the tournament than they did in the regular season. So they, you know, they hit their peak and it's like a lot of things you see it in, in March madness, sometimes basketball, where a team just gets hot at the right time. They got all the players back. They got hot. Um, you know, that being said, I mean, you know, losing stinks and we're not, we're not good at it and we're not used to it and we don't like it. Um, so we'll certainly, you know, step back, take a look and say, or what are some things that we can do, um, you know, to, to win that game next year. Yeah. And, and, and not getting used to losing, that's kind of a good problem to have. And, you know, the past three years, your, your home records just in, insane 22 and two overall. And, you know, the only loss this year was to South Carolina, which had beat you the previous year. So, when you come into the SEC tournament, you know, how much did the girls really want that win over South Carolina in the semifinals? So they showed a stat, and it was before the South Carolina game, we were 0-3 against South Carolina in the last two years. We'd scored one goal and given up four. And against the rest of the league, we were 19-0-1. And we'd scored 52 goals and given up 14. So, yeah, they wanted South Carolina bad. And, you know, they'd beaten us three straight. And they're a good team. They're a good program. Um, they, they had had our number a little bit. They wanted that game bad and we got it and we won. And, you know, that, that was, that was big for them. They really, really wanted that game. So you had seven all SEC honors. You get co-coach of the year this year. 
and then of course in the, in the SEC tournament had three all tournament. I mean, you really had a lot of players, but I was really impressed with, you know, the freshmen that stepped up with Ava Tankersley and then Anna Potagil's sister Ellie. So, you know, yeah. that just adds that depth with the freshmen stepping up. But Parker Goins, you know, you had a lot of people I noticed throughout the year, you know, with this McKeon or Maham or Potagio, everybody could get hot and score at any time. Yeah, and against South Carolina, we actually had two freshmen who didn't play a ton during the regular season score goals and Emily Hauser and Caroline Brooks. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it was a it was a of all the things that were different, the schedule might have been it. You know, traditionally, we have two non-conference games. And in our, our, our two preseason games, and then our non-conference, I mean, we beat Lamar 7-0, we beat SEMO 5-0, we beat McNeese 7-0. So we had some games where we could get some of those young players into matches where, you know, they, it wasn't it wasn't a one-goal game at the time. And we could get them some confidence and get them played in a bit. We didn't have that this year. I mean, our third game of the year was A&M. Our fourth game was South Carolina. There's just no running. We didn't have a preseason game. We didn't have no practice players we could play against. I mean, it was – it was, it was pretty harsh in terms of, you know, the, the on-ramp under the highway. So yeah, it was good. I mean, I was proud of them. They played well at the ends. Um, you know, obviously we, we wish we'd have won one more, um, you know, and we'll reflect on those things and, and keep getting better. Um, you know, for the two months, I mean, we're not going to ask anything of them. You know, we play again in the spring. We have a real season in the spring, which we've never done before. They moved our championship season to the spring. Um, so this will count where the regular season champs, you know, the NCAA tournament will be in May, which is going to be, you know, a little different. So we'll have to figure out how to navigate that. So is there going to be in the springtime, are you still going to have a regular SEC schedule or is it going to straight go into postseason play? Well, well, we'll have to play some games, you know, to get some run-ins. I mean, we won't just go first into the NCAA, but we don't have any scheduled SEC games right now. So we can play them and we probably will, but it's going to be kind of what do we need? And I'll talk to the committee. I mean, we won the league and all that finished second. So you know, we should be in good position for the NCAA tournament, but we do have to get in still, we, you know, and it's a smaller, uh, it's only 48 teams going this year versus 64. So we'll have a little bit of work to do and we'll focus on that. But a big part of that will be trying to get some of the younger players some experience. So we have a little more depth going into the NCAA tournament. Well, talk about recruiting. You, you signed 10, you know, and, and also with, with your success at Arkansas, have you seen a spike in the, you know, the high school level of play in, in Arkansas and, and kids coming up wanting to come to Arkansas and play soccer. We do. Yeah. One of the things we do, I think a little different than some other coaches is we are, I believe that whatever you sell, you get. And so who I am as a coach is who they see in the recruiting process. And I tell them, you know, this is what this is. I believe you grow outside your comfort zone. This is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. I'm going to coach you hard. We're going to push you hard. You know, there's a big emphasis on performance and growth and winning here. And, you know, if that's not what you want from your experience, we're not looking for people who want to come and play a little soccer and get an education and go to some parties and football. It's not what we're looking for. I mean, for me, this is, this is, you're going to get an education and you're going to play sports at an incredibly high level. And those are equal. Those are together. Those are one and one. And, you know, we don't make any, everyone doesn't have to do it that way. If there's other ways to do it, great. But what this is, is what this is. And if you want it, if you want to be great and you're willing to make some pretty serious sacrifices to get there and winning's important to you and you want to compete for championships, you should come here and you'll love it. If you do not like those things and you do not, I mean, I am relentless. We are relentless in our pursuit of excellence and growing and getting better. And that's, that's uncomfortable. And some people don't want that. And that is totally cool. But we tell them in the recruiting process, this is what this is, you know, do not come here and then complain 
that it was too difficult. Like we're telling you this is difficult. We're telling you this is going to be really hard and you're going to play with and against some of the best players in the world. And, you know, it's going to feel like at times nothing's good enough. You know, we want to chase that. We don't want it to be, you know, Hey, everything's great. Like we, we believe that growing now we do a lot of fun stuff too. I mean, we do pumpkin carving contests and, you know, we want to find a balance. We want them to enjoy this, you know, but one of the things we fundamentally agree, uh, believe in is growing and pursuing that daily and growth. They call them growing pains for a reason. And we want people who want that, who see this college experience as an opportunity to do something great and create memories that last a life. You know, we tell them fun is not our goal. We believe fun is a result of doing things the right way. And, you know, this isn't like, this isn't, this isn't, I mean, everyone's different. So you got to find the best fit for you. So in that process, yes, I think our recruiting's going great. We're also working hard to attract the people that we think are going to thrive in this environment. And I think we've done a good job of that. And I think some of the kids we have coming are very good. You know, we get all of our seniors back. So, you know, they're going to have a unique experience coming in. I mean, Parker's coming back, Malum's coming back, Vanny's coming back, um, you know, and potentially a couple more. So, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a very, very mature group. And these freshmen are going to have to fight their, their, their tails off to, to have a chance to, to play. And, and how much does that mean to you as a coach that, you know, in, in a sport like soccer and softball, where you don't have a lot of players that, that leave early for the professional sports. I mean, how, how does that help you when you're trying to groom the new players, knowing that you're always going to have that senior leadership to lean on? Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because these freshmen, are, a lot of them are coming in. They're some of the top players in the country. I mean, they're coming in and they want to play. And, you know, now you return everybody. And when they signed on to this, we were losing a pretty good big class. And now some of those kids are coming back. So, you know, we've said to them, hey, the, like, the situation is different. If, if that's not what you want, that's fine. You know, we're, we're, you're happy to go somewhere else. You came because you wanted to play with and against the best players in the country. And that's what you're going to be given the opportunity to do. I mean, best players play. And, you know, we're pretty consistent on that. But when you've got players like Parker and Taylor Malum and Haley Van Fossen coming back, I mean, of course you're pumped. You know, those are some of the best players in the country. Um, and not only that, but they bring maturity and responsibility. And, you know, we've said our, our program has zero rules. We don't have any, you can do this and you can't do that. We have expectations that are incredibly high and they set the standard. I mean, most of the stuff that happens in a program doesn't even get to me. Um, you know, I kind of joke sometimes operation phase myself out is way on its way. You know, we want this culture to be where it isn't reliant on me and I'm not a private investigator. We want people who want to win and want to grow and want to perform at high levels in everything they do. And those people thrive here and they do a great job and they set the standard and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be a, a small part of that. And Coach Hill, we'll end it on this. And I've noticed that, you know, I've, I've got the, the opportunity to cover the women's basketball team and, and the softball team and, and your sport, all three sports, the attendance keeps on going up and the fans. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, what is it like when you're able to look in the stands that used to be a couple of hundred people, now you're getting a thousand and, and the you know, the stands are full. And, and again, I always ask every coach this question when it comes to the women's athletics, you know, what more can we do to really help promote the women's games and all the sports and, and really bring more awareness and get more people in the stands? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, first of all, the thing you notice when you move here is Razorback fans are, I mean, everyone says it, but Razorback fans are the most passionate, crazy people on earth, you know? And so part of that, a lot of that's on us. I mean, we just got to keep getting our, what we do out. We got to keep winning. You know, I, I honestly feel like, you know, I was, I was thankful for the ones that were able to make it, but man, this year, I mean, we would have had, we had a broken even more records. And, you know, I think we've had 
I mean, 2,500, 3,000 people. When you have that many people at a soccer game, it feels like 10 million. And they are loud. I mean, everyone that everyone in our league would say this is one of the toughest places in the country to play. And, you know, th- that being said, I'm, I was really proud of the players this year. We didn't have all that anywhere we went. There weren't huge crowds because of the, the COVID restrictions. You know, and they still performed at a high level. So we're certainly looking forward to getting our fans back, um, all of them. You know, we're super grateful for the ones who do, were able to make it out. And we're just going to keep, you know, plugging along and anything you can do or we can help you do to help promote the product we're trying to put on the, the field is is super appreciated. Well, Coach, I really appreciate your time. And it was really fun watching this team and, and following along this year. And you can't wait to he- see what y'all do in the springtime. I appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Hog Talk Podcast. Again, thanks to Coach Hill for joining us today. Everybody have a safe Thanksgiving and go home. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.